Flyway Connections is brought to you by The Real Decoy. If you're looking to make your decoy spread come alive, check out the products. From the Roughneck and Natural Swimmer with the Max Flow Keel Design for optimal speed and battery life. To their Natural Flutter Extreme Mod 1, featuring their new proprietary Tsunami Wave technology that gives your decoy spread natural water movement. If you're the hardcore waterfowler looking for hardcore motions, look up the Real Decoy products at realdecoy.com. Use promo code FWC22 for 15% off of your next purchase. Welcome back, everybody, to another show of Flyway Connections. Like always, I'm here with my uh, two co-hosts, Sharp and Joe. Uh, Joe, you want to introduce our next uh, guest? Yes, yeah, so our next guest tonight is no stranger to the uh, episodes. It's Hayden Richard, world champion, duck calling, 2021 world champion, duck calling champion over there in Stuttgart, Arkansas. Hey, how you doing, Hayden? Good. I think the last time I was on here was like November 6th or something like that. Yeah, it was like right November. before. Yeah, yeah. Right before. I, I, I didn't get that cool title last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll tell you, I was supposed to go down and watch you guys, um, but I ended up watching you guys on, um, on the live. Facebook Live. Yeah. I was watching you stump and all them, and uh, Bud, it was it w- it was a good year, for I think, for Doug Collin that year. Coming back after Yo. having one in 2020. Yo, Hayden. Yeah. Let me let me tell you. Let me let me tell you this. Right after you won, Sharp was in his room practicing, saying he's trying to take your belt. <laughs> <laughs> he was in there practicing hard. Awesome. Hey, it <laughs> but, was a good uh, year. It was a good year. Yeah. Well, congratulations, man. Uh, and that, it was it was really something for us to actually get to watch you and say, hey, man. We, He's good people. Yeah. He's on the show, and man, he did it. And uh, man, congratulations! And it was what you're the oh. first guy from the win from Louisiana since when? Like the 1950s? 53. 53, yeah. So, something old little spec god can do, huh? <laughs> hey, man. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's funny because like, I, and honestly, I've always can blow a duck call, and I think we talked about this last time. Like, I've always was a duck hunter. I always blow a duck call. I'm more known nationally wise, like in the in the waterfowl industry, I'm known for killing speckle bellies. I'm known for trying to push the envelope on spec calls and helping Riceland and and being a guy. Like I was one of the first guys to ever double cluck in the Gate on Louisiana Gate on Louisiana area. So it's funny that, you know, when I won the world, it's it's it's, it's to me it's really cool to just be like I'm a spec guide, right? And that can win the world duck calling contest. But grand scheme of things, I've always been a duck caller. And another thing that a lot of people don't know is you are, you also blow a call that's not traditionally from a competition duck calling line of calls from Riceland, right? That's right. So the Riceland custom calls, we, we always built duck calls, but honestly, we've always lagged in the duck call department. And not by lagged in performance, but we've always lagged in like competition and sales. Cause like, I mean, you, you have the, the big number ones, right? You got the RNT, the echoes. Now you got refuge and everybody's from Arkansas. 
Yeah. We got uh, custom call makers kind of come up. So, yeah, when I started, when uh, me and Bill started working on the Main Street call, I built one out of an actual duck call. Like, I wasn't, it wasn't for Main Street. And uh, that's the same call I still go to that. And yeah. I actually have, I've made about probably 50 of them. There's about 40 or 50 in rotation around the state. People have in their hands from that duck call. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, we're not really known for duck calls. But this year, we do have a new duck I mean, call yeah. coming out. We do have a new duck call coming out. Uh, we will be kind of pushing the envelope on it more, and trying to get our name out, because I think we have a, a competitive duck call. I mean, hell, we won the world. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 yeah, I mean, and being someone who's blown against you in competitions, I mean, when you're meat competitions, you're blowing, you know, and I'm blowing a custom acrylic, and this man's over here whipping everybody with a polycarbonate. Let's put it like this. You say when you're being a man of blue against you, like, Yo, you said nice. as soon as you signed up, you saw who was on the yeah, list. Yeah, I see. I was like, yo, <laughs> I see him. Vincent and um and Seth and I was like, well, I guess I'm trying to blow for fourth then. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it, it's funny because like the meat call, yes, I actually blow a polycarbonate duck call. Like I have a contest on Saturday, which is the uh, ducks, the Ducks Unlimited Expo. It's I'll be right there. in front of me. That that same poly duck call is look. I mean, literally. <laughs> Sitting right in front of me. I've been blowing it for a week, and I'm gonna practice with it, and I'll blow it. Now yeah. I don't blow the poly in the Main Street contest. It's actually oh yeah, 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 yeah. But that poly has has absolutely won me a few contests and meet and won me some money. Man, it's been I've seen it. Yeah, it's old. It's called bourbon. It's like a brown, yellow, yeah, so yeah, like, like like a bourbon amber looking type one. Oh yeah, it's definitely not the prettiest thing in the world. Yeah, but it works like so good. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And y'all y'all won last year's uh, uh, Ducks Expo, right? Yeah. So I won. Yeah, I remember that. I was there. I, so I was yeah. there helping Benelli out um, at yeah. the shotgun booth. But I'll be there this not helping nobody out, just kind of enjoying the sights this time. So, but I'll be there. Good, good. I'm driving up Friday, yeah. so uh, I'll be up there Friday afternoon, Saturday morning, Saturday all day, and then Sunday morning. Once that contest ends Sunday, I gotta come back home though. You get ready for fishing, huh? Uh, yeah, I'm actually working on <laughs> board. I'm working on a, a board, a fish board for crappie yeah. fishing, chocolate fishing on today's event. So, so the listeners, so before we we got on the show, me, Joe, Sharp, kind of went on a a rant about turkey hunting then we we got uh we got uh hayden on and hayden started talking about fishing we just went on a rant fishing it literally took us 23 minutes to before we even started this show because we were talking about fishing <laughs> yeah, we, we almost recorded but, a podcast between turkey yeah, and fishing. <laughs> we almost recorded but for the listeners if y'all don't know hayden's a big big fisherman I, i've seen his stuff on social media and he's getting after it but um while we're on the topic of fishing uh do you want to talk about your the things going on you guided and stuff at uh well, little bend or the the best part was that somebody asked me have you been turkey hunting and i laughed and i said well you got to pick your poison because it's only uh my wife would only take one of them so yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. very true <laughs> so uh, this year yes i have embarked on purchasing property in Toledo Bend, and uh, i'm moving up there for the summer 
I will be guiding white perch, crappie, sockeye trips in the summer. And I will be guiding bass trips also. Uh, as it gets hotter, the bass trips kind of go toned down, but the sockeye trips, crappie trips really turn up. Uh, yeah. May and June are really, really good. Uh, July is still pretty productive. Uh, August, uh, you start getting a couple of cool fronts. It's pretty productive also. But really the best time of the year is May and June, and it looks like we're going to be pretty busy. Um, yeah. We're basically... We're basically getting on a party barge, a pontoon boat, uh, four or five people at a time, six people at a time, live scope, 25 feet of water, chasing brush piles. And it's pretty simple. It's actually nice. really, really fun. It, it's fun, man. You sit there, you drop on them. Some of these brush piles are holding 50 to 200 sockele at a time. Yeah. Oh, for the listeners, he said all three, so just because everybody calls them different. I, I grew yeah. up on crappie or white birch, sockele. It's something uh, I learned. Louisiana I, French. Uh, yeah. A little bit of Louisiana but, uh, French. Dude, he, he's saying all three so everybody knows what he's talking about. Um, and then he yeah. says bass because that's universal. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, crappie is South Louisiana. Uh, white perch is normally North Louisiana. There's a lot of, like, you hear white perch all the time. And I'm pretty yeah. sure everything north of Louisiana, like, when you get to Missouri and further now over to Canada, it's all called crappie. Yeah, yeah it's crappie, right yeah. There. Yeah, their actual name is crappie. So I, sometimes I, I go political on people and I'm like, yeah, I'm doing crappie trips. And they're like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> crappie trips. They're like, you're from, yeah. you're from here after Louisiana. You call them crappie. Listen, dude, it's their actual name. I have to just say it. Okay, get over it. Uh, <laughs> it I, don't know where you're, I don't know where you're from. It's crappie. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that, that's insane. Yeah, and I, I'm actually, um, I think what was it? Uh, what was the year before we went big on crop? Or two years ago we went big on crappie, Joe. Mm-hmm. And the last uh, year I did, I did a lot of crappie fishing last last year. Yeah, but it was all in Larda. I fished a little bit in Larda Lake last year. And then down with uh, over there at Slab Hunters, they do they got a lot of good uh, hunters. Yeah, that there. yeah, that's over in Larda Lake. That's Larda Lake. Yeah. Yeah. I- Man, it's it's universal for families. Honestly, this is the reason why we do it. Like, so I'm not a big soccer guy. Like, I know how to do it. I understand it. I get it. It's not that, not that technical. It's more about learning contour lines and understanding the lakes. So that's kind of where, like, where you put brush piles is more important than how you actually catch them. Um, and understanding where they're going to go, which patterning fish is something I'm really good at. But I never really cared for sockeye, crappie, white perch. I always cared for bass. But bass fishing is really hard. Uh, trying to guide two people on a bass trip that's never really been bass fishing before it is way harder than you can expect. It's almost like taking someone out spec hunting that's never shot a shotgun before every time. Yeah. So I understand that concept. Like, you can't help them. You can't. You can't catch the fish for them. So, as a bass fishing guide, it really is tough. Like, so I'm kind of you know, just curious, just because I you know I grew up. A lot of people don't know is I grew up really into bass fishing. I mean, I was kind of throwing mm-hmm. it. So when you're guiding and stuff, like you know, you know, like, like I said, oh man, we had my dad on the show, and he's I mean, that that guy is like the Yoda of bass fishing. When you when you're doing your guiding, are you tying their leaders for them, or are you are you tying their you know their Carolina rigs? Or I mean, 
are they using your gear? Are they bringing their own? Or, like, or do you give them a list of like, hey, before we go out, you know, they're, you know, you need probably need to bring some drop shot gear, so, so a couple spinning rods with uh, braids, some some conventional style bait casters, depending on where you're from in the world, with mono or um, fluorocarbon. Fluorocarbon, that you know, the line I hate. Or, 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 are you providing? Are you providing that gear for him? Oh, we're about to have it now. Uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, so the problem you have to assess it. So basically, when I'm guiding, like yeah, I got 20 rods in my bass boat, right? Okay, mm-hmm. the 20 rods in my bass boat are pretty much all set up for all those days that are leading up to that guide trip. So pretty much all my scouting, yeah, everything in that rod box. Like, okay, so that day I got it. It was pretty simple. I got there, and the guy's like, I want to bring my tackle. And I'm not going to tell you no. I'm like, go ahead, man, bring it. But you learn real quick by what they put in your boat. You can look down and say, okay, hold up. Now, some guys put their rods in their boat, in your boat, and you're like, he's got it figured out, right? He understands. He's coming here to learn. So there's two types of people. The people who are just coming to catch fish and the guys who are hiring a guy to figure out stuff that they can't they they had trouble or they thought they missed something not yeah. technically they, they missed it they just trying to say man i think i'm missing something let me hire a guy to find out most of the time it's not true some days the weather's terrible even guys struggle everybody does yeah i mean yeah fishing's definitely it's like golf yeah. some days some days you're gonna get it and then some days <laughs> some yeah. days you're, you're, i think you're, it's region based too because everybody every region or every area is different so what I found fishing here and then fishing Louisiana can be slightly different. So depending on where you're at. Well, Toledo Bend has not caught much rain. So first thing I'll say this, being from South Louisiana, being from fishing the basin and fishing this dirtier water. First thing I did when I got to Toledo Bend, the 20 rods under my deck, I bet you I had about 50, 50 braid flow carbon. You know, I got my braids for what I normally do. Right now, if you open the rod locker of my boat, I probably got my punch rod, my frog rod, and my regular light topwater rod, like my spook rod. That's mm-hmm. the only three rods I have in my boat right now with braid on them. And my flipping jig. That's it. One jig. There's four rods out of 20. Yeah. So right there, when I got there, I realized it's clear as this water is. Fluorocarbon, 100%, in my mind, is, is some of the best. The best oh, yeah. I've ever been in this fishing. Fluorocarbon is just universal. Well, and not just that, like anything you fish with, it sinks. Anytime you throw in Texas rig, Carolina rig, jerk baits, mm-hmm. chatter baits, swim jigs, it doesn't matter. It sinks. Therefore, yeah, and it's boat. clear. Yeah, and, and, and fluorocarbon's clear. They don't see it. So when you fish in this clear water, so once again, I had some guys come the other day. They were great people. They get in the boat. Every rod he had had braid on I instantly realized, like, well, he wants to bring his rods. I'm not going to tell you no. He gets to the, we get to the first spot. I pull four rods out my rod box. I throw them on the deck. I gave one to his wife. I gave one to him. I said, you need to be throwing this, and you need to be throwing this. All right, no problem. And you could tell, like, they caught on real quick that I was like, and he made a comment, like, yeah, the morning started off a little tough because of the pressure. We had a stroke roll through. At first, it started off tough, and you could tell he was starting to, like, hint, like, this is the first time I ever threw this same bait for this long without a bite. I'm like, well, there's only four rods on this deck because that's the only four rods I've caught fish on the last two days. Like, this is the pattern we have to be chasing. 
and I wasn't mean about it, but I made him understand, like, we need to keep up with it, right? Like, that's just trying to adjust and figure it out. By the end of the day, the guy ended up catching a bunch of fish. He was excited as hell. It ended up working out for him. But you got to read the room when it comes to customers and tackle. That's the way yeah. I put it. So read the room. I've always been, I've always been, uh, I'm not much of a braid person. If I use braid, I've used it as a lead. Um, so, I mean, I've always used fluorocarbon just because it's easier for me and it's universal. And um, I, I, I don't know, it, it gives that little snag on it. Um, but yeah. I, I use monofilling. I use monofilling for my top water or something like that. But um, See, I, I throw all my big top water ombre, dirty ombre. Ombre? Yeah. Yeah. Spook Juniors are. One knocker spook to throw them all the time. I throw them on braid. I throw waffle poppers. I throw them on thirty pound braid. Uh, nice. Then I go from I go from thirty pound. I used to throw like thirty and fifty and then sixty five. I don't cut fifty completely out. It's thirty or sixty five. Sixty five is my punch rod, my jig rod in dirty water, and my punch and my throw rod. Done. So so what do you what do you prefer when it comes to soft bait? You prefer the stick bait or you prefer the the flukes? Uh, it depends. I'll throw flukes. Okay. I'll throw stick. I'll throw everything. I, I literally Carolina rigs. I stick to traditional worms. Most people got away yeah. from it. Uh, I, I love stick to worms. Mm-hmm. I, I stick. To, I actually stick to just curvy tail worms. Like actually nine yeah. inch, ten inch, and seven inch nice. worms. Like a, a like a zoom cut tail. Yeah, like a zoom, yeah. a detail, a mag two, and an old monster. That's yeah. the three worms I keep. It's amazing how many people don't throw worms anymore. They throw brush hooks. They throw speed curls. They throw I mean, that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean. Growing up, I was forced to throw Carolina rig, Carolina yeah. rig, mm-hmm. Carolina rig. You know, you know, this is all high mountain in California, like Clear Lake, Lake Berryessa, um, mm-hmm. Lake Sonoma, uh, Sonoma. And we 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 threw four-inch weenie worms, the Zoom weenie worms. Yeah. Yep. And, I mean, we did that on a Carolina rig. And, I mean, that or – you know, going way back to people, you know, what a, a, a sluggo was. I don't, I don't even know if – I know they still mm-hmm. make – Yeah, what, you know, what yeah, – the, the six-inch sluggos and stuff. And so was, I always use the – it was always a Texas rig. In, 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 yeah, Texas yeah, – we see back home, yeah. we really throw Texas rigs. So we, yeah, we always threw Texas rigs, but – and uh, Joe, can, Joe can remember this. Um, so we were messing with uh, <laughs> uh, one of our uh, – one of our um, – God, what was his name? Or one of our uh, our team, team senior, team senior. This is He said he hated stick baits. I'm like, bro, if you can't fish with stick baits, and you can't fish, and my son and I joked around, and this is true because you know I didn't think it was gonna happen. My son just just so he can get out there. He was young. He was fishing. I put a. I didn't have no worms or I didn't have shiners or nothing like that for him. Uh, I was like, here, I'll just put a stick bait on. I'll, I'll put a, a stick bait on mm-hmm. there on a bobber. And he caught a fish with it. And I'm like, look, sir, if you can't catch a stick, if you can't catch a stick bait out there, my son a caught fish a stick, with stick bait. bait. Yeah. Yeah. With a fish with a stick bait. Like, like, come oh, on. Like, I bought him about a bulk pack. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. When you are, are you, or when it comes to, are you a Senko type of guy? A, um, a yum guy when it comes, or are you, you Singles and yams, yeah. Like so. The only reason, the only reason I throw a yum dinger is if it's weighted. Yeah, uh, and they're cheaper. Texas rig, 
take well that's reason so if i have a weighted a weighted a weighted texas rig like a one eighth ounce weighted texas rig i'll throw you home if i'm throwing a weighted wacky worm which is a one eighth ounce wacky worm hook with a weight on it like a little ball jig head yeah i'll throw a yum anytime i throw weightless i think the salt impregnation makes the sea yeah, it's salt. A, yeah. It, it makes it more denser it's a more harder base well, yeah and it gives it that that little like tail flip Yep, it fall it falls way better and way more shimmy yeah. on that natural fall. So yes, I, anytime I'm throwing weightless, I throw sinkos. Anytime I'm not throwing weightless, I throw young dangers. Simple as that. Yeah. I buy I buy them by a bulk packs: watermelon red, black and blue, June bug, and green pumpkin, purple green flake. That's it. Mm. <laughs> none none of the Guggen or Six Sense type of guy. Ah, no, I don't know. Uh, Six Sense, I've got a couple things from them, but. Yeah, uh, I'm a striking guy. Uh, I I own probably probably own a hundred packs of Rage Bugs. Uh, I probably own fifty packs of Rage Girls. Uh, I have Yum Dingers and Cinco's all in the same color. I yeah. got Baby Brush Hogs in two colors. I got Lizards in two colors. I, I just keep everything really simple. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like Mag 2 worms, I throw Mag 2 worms all the time. Zoom Mag 2, it's a nine and a half inch worm, but it's a little slender than the old monster. I throw watermelon red or plum apple. That's it. <laughs> yeah. what I've learned in life is when you start cutting down these colors and, and learning to stick to certain things, God, a lot more efficient. Yeah. A lot less questioning yourself. Yeah. Man, we turn, we turn this. Yeah, go ahead, sir. I think it's funny that he said that because, like, I don't, I'm not a huge fisherman. Like, I, I, I kind of grew up fishing um, more than hunting, just kind of where I was. And, uh, mm -hmm. but I've always kind of been a, a river fisherman. I like, I like wade fishing. I go fishing mountains in North Carolina and stuff. I rate wade fish for smallmouth and trout. And, like you said, keep it simple. We do a Texas rig, mm -hmm. a little four inch lizard. And I've been fishing that thing every single time it's all we use every time i mean you keep it simple same absolutely. color make it look natural absolutely yeah, I mean, it, it also takes away it takes away that that uh mental game right like how many times you you see people like my client for example man it's the longest time i ever threw a bait and i got a bite because <laughs> it's gonna work you just gotta stick with it like <laughs> <laughs> it's just like yeah. don't go don't go mentally roaming off in Wonderland tackle box like stop like so that that's time. funny that's funny you say that because for a long time uh, so I always go for some reason I always go back to the stick bait I think the stick bait is you just can't go wrong with it um, I think Joe's okay. the one that got me back on flukes flukes I used to use flukes and I don't know it just wasn't good but I, that day we went to S four pond. He was just, he was nailing them with the flukes. So I was like, all right, I'll switch to the flukes. And out of nowhere, we went back to back. And it was, it was good. So now I'll use the flukes, but I always go back to my stick bait. And it, on a Texas rig and, and some type of brush or something, you know, I, I'll get it. But um, I, I think something, yeah. So I, I think that, I think what you said is um, just going back to just keeping it uh, simple. Um, obviously you got to match the hatch. Everybody heard, everybody's heard that. So, but, um, that's what yeah, I do. Yeah. Fly fish more than I spin, spin fish. That's my big thing in the summertime. Speaking of fly fishing, 
I love. Have you ever been to the Little Red River in Arkansas? I have not. So I've I've always <laughs> wanted. Oh. My dad, my dad always used to go float the white. Um, we got a hide, a fourteen six low profile hide. Yeah. And I learned how to do that. So I've been taking it all over here in like uh, North Carolina and Georgia and stuff. You, but I've never you, done need, you need to go to Little Red River. Little Red River probably is the most populated trout trout river in all of Arkansas, probably all of the southeast. It's better than the white. The white has more trophy fish, like big browns and bigger like uh, bigger browns, right? But yeah. the little the little red has literally millions of rainbows. Man, we made yeah. this a fishing podcast. What do you want? Yeah. Hey, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing that people don't understand. Like, I get, get it. We love we all love waterfowl. We all we all get it, but we all have uh something that brings us back to our memories. And I will say, like I think I think all three of us brings us fishing brings I think all four of us fishing brings us back to that childhood and catching that first fish and it's fun so um and i and i've always found that waterfowlers always found fishing in the water uh the closest when you're not when you're not hunting that you know cupped wings and stuff so well yeah because you need something to do in the spring i feel like fishing is like the first thing that you like kind of cut your teeth with in the outdoors yeah it is i mean it's a it's easier to introduce a kid to fishing at a really young age than it is hunting yeah you could be really really military like Joe when he was growing up, or <laughs> you could just go out there and just fish. Uh, no, Joe has some stories, it, man. It, it Joe has had some stories. Hey, you're out. You're done. Yeah, it's sweatshop. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a sweatshop growing up fishing. But, I mean, it was different. Uh, I mean, we were commercial. We were guiding at young ages. It was I mean, it was different. It was more of that. Yeah, it was real. And we, we were doing a lot of ocean saltwater type stuff. Type stuff. But back, let's bring it back to the teal season because we're talking about the first Darn. thing you can hunt, and we all we all know dove. Dove is kind of like the first winged bird you can you can hunt in the in that coming in that fall season. But for me, being living down here in Louisiana, teal season is probably that September teal season is probably the, the thing I wait for the most. I enjoy it because uh, I mean honestly, yeah, this is gonna last. I enjoy it now because now I want to guide service, so I, I focus on teal season more and more and more. But growing up, hunting the marshes where I live, we never had teal season. We, our teal season sucked. So in reality, like, and I'm not going to backtrack, just the only one comment. My dad, my dad was a big-time fisherman. He tournament fished. So yeah. my, first, my first introduction to competitiveness in the outdoor world was fishing, not hunting. So like we would fish all the way up until October and then we duck hunt in November. So back mm-hmm. to that, I never really got to teal hunt much, like good teal hunting until probably about 10 years ago. And then I never really took it serious until about seven or six or seven. So I've, I've only been really, really like caring about it. Now, fortunately, now with the guide service and gate on, like, we control, me and another guide service, control some of the best teal hunting in Louisiana. And it's fun. I love it. Now that I get to shoot them, I enjoy them. Uh, yeah, I enjoy the hell out of them as a guide service because I normally get to hunt them a lot 14 days out of 16. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, teal, season, teal season's been fun. Yeah. And the last two years, the last two seasons have been phenomenal. Been, yeah, fire. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> fire, that's all I can say. Wow. Uh, yeah, 
We we shot sixty six last year opening day. Yeah. Fifty minutes. <laughs> so oh, yeah, God. like your your normal teal setup. So you know, because a lot of guys who listen to the show, you know, teal season is just kind of getting big up in the northern states, the Missouri's and um. North Carolina has one on the east coast. On the east coast of the North Carolinas, is getting big in Kansas and all that. Um, but when you're getting ready for Tilson down here, what's your decoy spread? What's the motion you use? Do you call? Do you not call? I mean, I know Ryson makes a teal call. Um, or, so, or best ones. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going with like you know what's your setup and um, what do you do for you know for yourself? As a as guide service, getting ready for teal season. So, some people are gonna be shocked by this, but most people that hunt with me laugh because. So I have my deal with Higdon, right? So I'm I'm pretty close to Higdon, so I run all home field decoys. Uh, we'll run about ten dozen teal decoys per blind, and then we'll run eight to twelve mojos per blind. So a little unconventional with everybody else. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. So that's here you go. We run. <laughs> yeah. So here you go. This is why. So the reason why is about three years ago I'd watch. Uh, three years ago we had a bad field season, and I watched Eastern Texas, Southeast Texas shoot the shit out of a bunch of buddies on that end. Right. In the call industry, you become friends with everybody from all over the country. So you kind of get like. You start social media friends with all these guys you compete against. Well, guess what? You watch them shoot them. So I'm watching videos about three or four years ago. Four years ago, because three years ago I started doing this. And I'm watching these videos. These dudes got decoys everywhere. They got like eight to ten mojos running. And they're working like flocks of 50 to 100 to 150 teal at a time. And I always thought, like, every time you're teal hunting, especially in southwest Louisiana, how many times are you shooting, like, twos and fours and tens? But you always look up and, like, a hundred go by and never stop, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah all the time. Okay. Well, three years ago, I decided, F it, I'm going to do it. So I went and bought, like, 12 mojos and put out 15 or 20 dozen decoys at an open water, old crawfish pond teal spot. When I tell you, we were working flocks. For 13 out of 16 days, we, we would shoot into at least one flock over 20 a day, uh, 20. And there were some days where we would only shoot into like 40 and 50 a flock backpedaling. And they would come from the ozones. Yeah. Like you'd look, you'd look up and watch them go by, and then you just watch them all start dipping in. And everybody would start laughing. I was like, oh, y'all put your heads out and don't move. And we'd all start laughing because no one would call. You didn't have to call. You had 12 mojos running and 20 dozen decoys. They come from the ozone. Ozone, yeah. And, just, and the first pass was so loud. Like that. Yeah. Oh, my God. They yeah, go I know. across the pond. Oh, they go across the pond and they would and they'd go across the pond and they would like take this big swing. And like 50 of them would come right at you, 10 foot off the water. And when they get to the decoys, they'd all put their feet out. And I'd call it a shot. And we'd kill like 10, 8. Sometimes we'd kill like 16 a flock. And people were like, holy shit. Like, this is crazy. And, I, and that year, I was like, this is it. I'm doing this every year. And yeah. since I started doing that, I'm telling y'all, like, big flock. 
I shoot into more big flocks in the last three years than I've ever done. I've ever seen all because I watched a couple videos from Southeast Texas. They do the same shit. They put out a a bunch of decoys, pintail, gray ducks, teal. It's almost like they go through their big duck spreads and say, whatever's dark, throw it out. Yeah. (laughs) Well, It it shows up as that visual effect that it gives. Um, like you said, Joe, you like around hen mallards. I mean, that's a good. Yeah, that's yeah. A, I, I, I run a lot of hen mallards. My teal spreads from up, from up top. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear the. Yeah, I want to hear the best cut secret of teal season. What's that? What's that? Full body black ducks from Higdon Outdoors. <laughs> they they look like summer mallards, right? They're dark and yeah. they're full body. So when you put them out there, they're above the water. They cast a big shadow. When you get back like 400 yards from your blind, you can barely see the teal decoys, but you can count every one of those full body black ducks. Every one of them. That that does make a lot. Well, heck, I mean, even during teal season too, you see a lot of those models and stuff coming down. Well, yeah, you see a lot of models. Ducks. I mean, I hunt Catahoula a lot, and um, I'll hunt Catahoula in the hunt Lacassine area a lot. Mm-hmm. And you tell Catahoula. It's it, it, a different type of duck hunter. Um, you know, they use a lot of, you know, older traditional styles of duck hunting. And you see a lot, a lot, a lot of um, uh, black, 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 yeah, black pill bottles, black <laughs> jugs, black pop bottles. And it, I've mm-hmm. seen it work. And I started doing it this year. But during teal season last year, we were out there and um, we kayaked out there. And mm-hmm. I had a pretty good teal spread, and I was kind of using the kayaks like a like you would think of like a, a layout boat, you know, for for mm-hmm. divers. Not you know, and right probably about four hundred meters out, you know, you, I didn't see him you know in, in the dark, but then it came up. There's someone left their um, old. Well, what I thought I looked at first was a raft of ducks, and I seen teal groups of teal going and going over there. You know, we're shooting our teal because there's tons of them all over the place. You know, we get our limit. And I was like, I'm going to go pile kind of close to that, that raft of ducks. I paddle up. Ducks start to, you know, flush out. Those other ducks don't move. It was about 75 pop bottles painted black. Yep. So and that was it. And they were sucking into it like no other. So think of it like this. Teal are not the smartest thing in the world. But they fly like bats out of hell, right? They haul ass. Everywhere they're going, especially when shooting's going on, they're rolling, right? So there's two things you got to do. There's two ways I look at teal hunting. You got to blow your duck call like you're stupid at them, because honestly, I do it. I do it all the time, guys, and people look at me like I'm stupid until they turn. People say, does that work? And then they break, and everybody goes, oh, my God, I never would have thought that. Because think about every time a teal buzzes you. What do you hear? the loudest noise ever, right? All right. Well, now think about them teal steady flying at 50 miles an hour. You think they can hear anything? Stick your head out the window of your truck going 50 miles <laughs> down the road. You can't hear a goddamn thing. Trust me, I, I, I run a bass boat all the time. 65, 67, 68 sometimes, but I normally run between 60, 55 and 62. That's my 55 a lot of times in the cruising speed. I can't hear a goddamn thing if you're sitting next to me trying to talk to me. It's just air, right? Yeah. It, it, so imagine that duck trying to hear you. You can't. So what do you have next? Appearance. 
you gotta you gotta find a way to visually attract them. Dark decoys, big decoy spreads, 10, 12 mojos. Because here's the deal. Everyone has two mojos and two dozen kill decoys. Everybody. And when they get up a hundred yards high and start flying, they can see for miles. Yes. Mojos. They could see two mojos flapping for miles. So go put 10 out. Nobody else is doing it. Trust me. I've seen it. It works. It's amazing. They come from the ozone. They break like you have never seen before. Put their feet out. Now, do you, do you run them on the, uh, the extenders during teal season, so I, or, or, or do you still run them on, used, like, on the additional three? I used to, but I don't. I put them in packs. So I'll put, like, if I got 12, I'll put three packs of four. And I'll put them things on top of each other, like on yeah. top of each other. I'll put four. I'll put four mojos in a four foot square, like on top of each other. That's what they look like when you ever watch a, a, a big wad of teal backpedal on decoys. It looks like a, they all pile up on top of each other. Correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the coolest part and the reason I brought this up is Higdon makes the foam field. So when you get all these ducks start backpedaling over decoys, I tell people I do not care about decoys. I don't care if you shoot them all three times. So it's amazing how many teal we kill from ducks backpedaling because now I don't have to wait. Yeah. I don't have to tell seven. I don't have to tell seven guys, hey, wait, don't shoot decoys. Wait till they get out of the decoys. No, taught them. Start them on a waterfall, I care. Yeah. <laughs> and we all got those friends, man, that shoot your decoys up every season. <laughs> we do it about every third. About every third hunt, I tell someone to shoot a decoy, and they're like, "What? Well, are you shooting decoy? You want?" They will literally, about every third hunt, someone will pick their gun up and shoot a decoy and say, if that thing's still floating by the end of the hunt, I will buy I will buy him them decoys. I'm like, well, you could shoot it now because it's still going to be there. Yeah. I think we made a post at the end of the last year season. We had a wad stuck in one of them. <laughs> That's the, close. The whole, the whole wad was stuck in the back of the – it went in backwards somehow – <laughs> and it took like a quarter inch to decoy. busted the whole plastic. It was still floating. Had to be shooting an extra, extra full. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if they tried to shoot a decoy or like. So I'm famous. Like, you come to one of me and a duck lands at 20 yards away and it's in the middle of 40 decoys. You'll hear me. Somebody kill that duck, like right now, before it flies away. And somebody's going to be like, eh. And one guy's going to be like, oh, he told me so. Wham! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said it. <laughs> yeah, like I love it because it's like you know what? How many times you watch the duck get off the decoy and fly away straight away from you, and you wait for it to end, it, get to the end of the decoys, and you lose it with the next levy. Yeah, and it flies away and it gets away. So guess what? Yeah. No, don't, I'm don't all about shooting decoys. decoys. Yeah, I, I know you're all about shooting decoys, my man. <laughs> oh, I. I I can't tell you how many kids that came and I'm like, they're like, hey, can my son shoot his gun? I'm like, yeah, shoot that decoy on the left. What? I tell him to shoot that decoy. Man, it's a decoy. I'm like, I don't care. It's foam field. I'll get more next year. If, it doesn't, if, he, if he can blow that decoy up where it don't float, I'll send that to Higdon. They'll send me a whole six-pack for free. Like, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, no way. I'm like, dude, they are proud of their product. Like, It's going to float. Trust me. And People shoot them all the time. Yeah, I mean, I'll pick up I'll pick up 150 TOD cars at one blind, and it'll be about 60 to 70 shots in one season. That that's the truth. That's that's yeah. real. 
That's, oh, that's I, real. I, I definitely believe it. I I believe it. I've, I've seen some some decoys take some take some damage. Oh, I mean, that is and, <laughs> and spinning wounds. That is the way to do it in teal season, though, because I mean that's yeah. when you're gonna that's when you're gonna hit your birds. That's when your clients are gonna yeah. be their most accurate too. When that bird's slowing down and not going directly away from them. You'd be amazed. Like last year, we shot 66 opening day. And we shot 66 in 50 minutes. And I'm telling you all right now, 11 guns plus two guides. Guides that we left our me, – we me and another my, my partner, Kate, sat on both sides of 11 people. We left our guns in the bag. We, did, we told them we're not shooting our limit because we were supposed to guide that afternoon. They shot 66, and I'm telling you all, they let about six get away. <laughs> <laughs> Because they didn't care. I told them. I mean, we all, and it's young guys from Georgia, right? They're coming back again this year. It's young guys from Georgia. Who is it? Who is it? That's where I'm from. Um, Goddamn, Brooks Bowden is the one that books the hunt. Um, Brooks Bowden is Cal Gentry. There's a bunch of them. They're great guys. And I literally, they, they've been with me multiple years. So when I make that joke in the morning, I'm like, y'all know the rules. Nobody cares about decoys. Don't let them get away. <laughs> they all start. They all start giggling like, "Oh, what? We're about to kill these decoys today!" Like everybody starts laughing because they know better. Like, do not let birds get away. I don't care if they're next to five decoys. I don't care if we're on top of this levee and ten backpedal in the thickest part of the decoys. You kill all ten of them. I don't care. And they kill sixty six in fifty minutes, and I bet you they let go six of them. <laughs> They kept coming in in like four to ten a pack, and they would kill all of them, <laughs> all of them, every time. Because, like you just said, they were shooting them on the back pedal, right, where they'd slow down and stop, and they would shoot them, and they would kill them all. It's amazing. I'm telling y'all right now, you don't have Higdon, you don't have foam field decoys, which Higdon makes a great one. They don't catch your eye, but they kill teal. <laughs> <laughs> It don't matter because, like I said, I own probably own 40 dozen teal decoys, and I bet you 15, 20 dozen a shot. And yeah. I'll put them back out. I'm putting them back out again this year. They're going out. Yeah. They, got, they got rusted BB still stuck in the plastic when I throw them. <laughs> yeah. That's, now, for, that's teal season. for the newer guys getting the teal and the guys that are, you know, you know, they're. They might get you know a little teal lease out here in the Welsh or Thornton, or Thornton area, or they might be hunting in the marsh, whatever. What's what's your like three tips that you would give somebody who's just getting into like the September teal season with calling decoys, shotguns? Well, first part, honestly, the hide is not the total opposite of our speculative talk. The hide is not the most important. Um, honestly, decoys, decoys and decoys and mojos. Cause I, like I said earlier, everybody owns two dozen two decoys and two mojos, right? You can buy mojos for like $30 now, 40 bucks a piece. Um, yeah. And, I mean, and if you don't have that, you better be where they want to be. Cause I mean, teal season's not spec season. You can't talk them into coming. So scouting is probably most important if you ain't got scouting you better have wide open water and a bunch of teal decoys and a bunch of mojos that's how we shoot them we either hunt them over rice which where we do hunt rice we yeah we don't hunt the bigger spreads because we know they're coming to it 
But if we're hunting open water, like old old crawfish ponds or flooded cow pasture or say some dirt that's just been plowed and flooded, we're hunting big spreads. That and to me, that's how you kill. Them. Unlike speckle bellies or ducks, you can't really call out them. You yeah. can, but but you can't. Yeah. Now calling make it, a, it make the is more like a like a finishing type deal or <laughs> yeah, so calling in my opinion, you'll see birds kinda like like especially when you're hunting rice, these birds that are loafing over rice, right? You look up and you'll see them cutting across the rice field. They're not high, they're not traveling, they're coming to that rice field. Yes, the call works. When you're hunting open water and they're not coming to you and they break from the ozone. Yeah, you can hit them on that last pass when they swing out and kind of give them a confidence booster. But at the end of the day, if they just broke from 200 yards, they're coming no matter what. Yeah. So at the end of the day, like that. Uh, yeah, the, the calling is important, especially when you're hunting where they want to be. Because you could be in a rice field and be in a corner where they, they want to be in the same cut as you, but they don't want to be in that corner. Does that make any sense? Yeah. It's not like hunting you know when they want to go on a cut they normally really really levitate to a goose decoy more than ever uh teal season still don't care like yeah they'll go to decoys and but like everyone before decoys and two mojos therefore if you're putting out 24 decoys and two mojos well you're like everybody else that he passed by to get to that right field yeah being different um if you see everybody around you is doing something, change it up. Uh, call at them only on the corners when you get their attention. Most of the time, scouting in field season is a, is a big deal, in yeah. my opinion. Now, we're, I know we talked about during big duck and then goose season, you talked about pulling your decoys after every hunt. Teal season, do you get to be a little bit lazier, or do you still pull that – uh, those decoys, because down here in Louisiana, we understand that this is kind of like final destination for them. Um, do you give them something fresh every day, or, or or can we lax on the on the on the decoy setup? Well, teal season is different. So normally, when you open, and this is normal. Last year was a little different. Uh, year before was exactly this. When you start opening weekend, you're normally shooting males. You're normally shooting the first males that come down. Uh, by that second weekend, you always kind of see that lag, that little all right. You're still killing some, but you're not. And then for some reason, always, it's almost like they have a clock in your brain. Between the second and third weekend, you always get this fresh push of birds, which is normally your females and your juveniles. That's when you start seeing your big flocks. That's when you start shooting, like, you'll go there in the morning, and say you go there, and one day it sucks. Then all of a sudden, it's like four days to the end of teal season. You're like, hell on it. Let's go. It's almost over anyway, right? You show up the next morning. You're shooting the four flocks of 25 to 30 apiece. You kill your limit, and you're like, bro, what happened? That's normally your females and your juveniles coming down second. So as long as you have these pushes, you don't have to pick up decoys. But I'll tell you this. Those males get really smart really fast. Uh, after opening weekend, if you don't have any juvies or females coming down or you don't have none in the area, you probably should, unless you're running like we run, 10 dozen, 15 dozen teal decoys and 12 mojos, you probably should start thinking about picking those decoys up. Because those little men, and the way you tell a male is the white patches. When you pull their wing open and they got the white patch under the blue, yeah, that's, that's a male. 
anything without white patches, normally you'll see your a female and a juvie. Yeah, the female and the juvenile, when you pull the wing apart, you'll see the blue, but there's no white patch. It's a little bit less defined blue, right? Yeah. But when you pull the wing out and you see a very defined blue, you see the iridescent green and you see that white patch, that's an adult male. Those males get really smart really fast. That's why you see the first week normally fall off so fast. Right? You, you've seen it before, right? You hunt mm-hmm. on Sunday, you kill them. Sunday is pretty good. Then all of a sudden, Monday's decent. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday suck. Yeah. Man, what happened? They, they, they got stale already. No, it's just, just some adult males. They've been shot at, you know, three or four years already. Yeah. They're not all, they're not all stupid. We had this conversation about suck hunting. When you're getting shot at every day, your life yeah. is just a survive. It doesn't take you long for you to realize, well, yeah. I probably shouldn't do that. So, yeah, when it comes to decoys, it depends on how your season is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you ain't got no cold fronts coming after that, no north winds at all after opening weekend, you probably should pick up decoys. All right. Sure. I mean, yeah, there's more factors than just saying yes or no, but that's probably one of the telltale factors I'll tell people. If you ain't got a north wind, you don't have to have a cold front, just a north wind. You ever notice that for teal season, you get all our birds like September 4th or 5th or the 3rd or something like that? North wind blows last year, weren't they? Uh, yes, they were a little early last year. They got here at the end of August, pretty thick too, like all yeah. at once. Yeah, but I think I, I kind of attributed that to the drought. I think when they decided to migrate, there was nowhere to stop, so they kind of got here all on that first week of September. Uh, like September first, they got here. But if you ever notice, it's never a cold front they get here on. North wind comes, the, the wind blows up the north, and it can be 91 degrees outside because there's no humidity, right? The temperature rises like hell. They'll show up on just. And I've been told that by a lot of people who shot them a long time. And they say that it's, it's not the cold front, it's just the north wind. Like you walk outside in the morning, and it's the north wind blowing, and it's, uh, it's just like a, it's dry. It's not even it's not even cold. It's just dry, right? Seventy five when you wake up. It's not eighty. By the time the afternoon comes around, it's ninety one degrees outside. You're like, damn. But it's north winds blowing, but it's hot. You can go to any rice field and get on and find them. <laughs> I think cold fronts hurt us more than anything. When you wake up in the morning, it's sixty yeah. degrees. That hurts I, us. I, you think push out? You think they push out south up when that happens? Absolutely. They're, 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 we're not the final destination for blue wing teal. We're just a stopover. Mm-hmm. So if you give them more than five days to feed here, and that was always in my logic. This is something that I've watched in my observation now. I could be wrong, but for me guiding as long as I have and running guide service until season, I've learned that if you give them five days here without being shot or five to seven days without being shot and a good cold front comes through, your birds will leave and go to Mexico, Guatemala, uh, further south. Yeah. Because you got to think about it. You're giving them five to seven days to rebuild fat and get food back yeah. in their body. Next yeah, culture comes sense. through. The, that's right. Think right. Like, la- last year, we had way more birds. We had a cold front come through on Friday, if y'all remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had uh, way more birds that Wednesday and Thursday before that Friday. And that cold front really hurt our, we had a, 
if we would have had that cold front opening weekend, we'd had the same teal season we had the year before, which was pretty unreal. Yeah. That that was a teal season we were setting up for, and we didn't get that teal season because of that cold front. And those birds had been there for over a week. Five to seven days is is my is my my thought. You give them five to seven days to feed, any cold front after that, pretty much gonna push them out. Now Hunting pressure tends to extend that a little bit because you're not letting them feed every day because you're shooting them. Yeah. But five to seven days, if they're unharmed or sitting in a field for five to seven days just eating, full front comes through, they'll naturally just get up and move. So and you think them. staying on them for those, for, you know, staying on them will keep them moving around and keep them, um, it might keep them here a little longer? Yeah. Or you just really hope for south winds. Like I've seen yeah. it where. I've talked to a lot of guys that own property in Gato, and uh, my dog trainer is one of them, uh, Trent Nugent. He owns property in Gato. And we sat down and had this conversation. The best teal seasons are, I mean, this is Mother Nature. We can't control this. They all get here, and then you get these late, late hurricanes, correct? Yep. So these hurricanes keep these cold fronts from coming down because they, they tend to normally keep moisture and south winds coming. Once they get here, as long as that south wind's blowing 5 to 10, 15 to 20, they'll never leave. They cannot cross the Gulf of Mexico with a south wind. It's basically, in my mind, and from what we discussed, it's probably physically impossible for them. You understand? Yeah. Because there's nothing out there. They have to literally cross the Gulf of Mexico to get to the Yucatan Peninsula and further. So they have to cross salt water. They can't stop. They can't get water. They can't get food. They can't drink salt water. So unless you have a north wind, they cannot cross the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. As long as you get, as long as you have south winds blowing, those big south winds that blow, your teal season will continue. And yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just to like caveat off that for the new listeners that you know getting into duck hunting, the teal they they're a lot. They're they're not like the big ducks. They're smaller birds. Mm -hmm. So you got to think, you know. You know that that Southwest hitting them, you know that's some work that's burning that's burning protein that's burning fat. Absolutely, yeah. They, they, they got and, and they're they're a small bird. They got to eat right. They yeah. got to cross that. They got to cross the Gulf of Mexico. I think it's like two days. Or yeah, day. and that makes sense because they they got to they got to they got to they got to pile up on all that protein, all that fat to make it over there. And that you you got to think like just with any species, whether it be us or you know the wild animals. You know it's the same thing. They they gotta they gotta load up on that fat and protein. So if, if you that look makes at sense. the anatomy of a duck, though, a duck it does off of the muscles are musk. It's the muscles moving. They don't have soaring wings. They have flapping style wings. So if sure. like in those high winds like that, I mean they can soar, but their wings aren't designed to soar. They're designed to flap. And like, as like a, you know, a frigate bird or something like that, where it can ride that wind and use that wind to move it. That duck, can, I mean, he can do it in a sense, but he's got to fight it hard. That's right. And that little bird just can't do it. <laughs> that's right. That's why, that's why like people always tell me, man, cold front's coming. God damn it. What? <laughs> that's the worst thing we can have. Yeah. And, and it's funny because you, because of duck season, you associate a cold front with ducks. But teal come here, like I just said. If a north wind blows tomorrow and it's just a high pressure 
north wind coming through, and it could be 75 in the morning and 91 that afternoon. They're coming. They are coming. It's a north wind blowing in their mind. That they're done. Their breeding's done. Everything's done. When they get done with what they're doing and they build up enough fat, when the first north wind blows, they will come. They have nothing else to stay for. They're yeah. not like a normal duck. They don't wait for the cold weather. They come. There's no cold weather that makes a blue wing come here. In their mind, they know where they have to be and they go. That's why teal season is so important to us because, we yes, we're starting to have warmer winters. Yes, we're not seeing the snowfall up north. Blue wing teal don't care. They're going to come. So I don't want cold fronts. I want it. I want a north wind to blow degree. Wind to blow from. 16 days straight. I don't care. So just for the listeners, so would you say it's the same thing for the green wing? No. Green wing are very cold weather. Cold, mm-hmm. cold, cold weather. Duck. We shot one on opening day. We shot a, we shot a green yeah, wing. Yeah. yeah, well, you shoot a couple, but you occasional. never noticed. You get the occasional yeah. one. Yeah, but I, I understand what you're saying. The majority of them don't push. They're staying up. No. like. The Missouri guys are shooting the green wings for teal season. And then you see the big, you see the green wings still don't get down. Like Arkansas last year never got that push of green wings to like that big freeze. And I didn't really see many of them. Like I, I got up there in in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. Um, Yeah. And last year, like, I love I love shooting teal over the rice, like especially because that's you get your numbers up really quick, and that it's fun to see them come in like fighter jets. And I just didn't get a lot this year. I mean, I had a couple good wads, but not like the past couple of years. We shot a couple of good green wing uh, flocks when we were there. Yeah, they were there early. Like it was weird for us. We had birds real early, and then it yeah. kind of I lost all of them. Yeah, I think a lot. I think I think your blue wing and your green wing go separately. Your green wing go yeah. back north with your hot weather, and your blue wing go. So your green wing are not known to fly to Yucatan Peninsula. The green wing actually winter here. So your green yeah. wing are known. You can look it up. Your green wing are known to winter Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana. Blue wing are not known to winter here. They're not supposed to winter here. So this year, when all them guys are shooting blue wing in like January and Cameron Parish. That's not good. It's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> that that's kind of unheard of. And so everybody's like, "Oh, we're still shooting blue wings." It doesn't scare you? Well, no, it should. Yeah, it should because they're not supposed to be here. They never were here. They never stay here. You shoot them in the early November, and they 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 the last wave completely leaves, and then they come back at the end of January. So when guys are shooting blue wing in December and you see that, when you see guys shooting blue wing in December in Louisiana, understand that's not a good thing. That means that they're even not going all the way. That migration is not completing itself, just like our ducks. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. That, I mean, it was Very almost fat. like that. It was that that last year. I mean, I would say all of us, it was a little weird last year. You're, you're I mean, are not completing their 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 yeah. full migration pattern. Yeah, I mean, the, the joke this year with me on my lease was green wing and and uh, spoonbill saved my season. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I will say I definitely <laughs> saw a lot of green wing and and a lot of the uh, the other blue wings. 
Yeah. Well, the last two weeks in Arkansas after it froze, remember when I had that big freeze, right? The last two weeks in Arkansas, mm-hmm. I went up yeah. there with Zach Fox uh-huh. and Burrow. We shot so many green wings. And I know they're hardy birds. I get it. But uh, so one thing I want to say before we go on that, do y'all know that hummingbirds, hummingbird, actual hummingbirds and blue wing have the same migration pattern? Oh, I did no, not I know did. that. I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you ever go outside, you're in South Louisiana and you hang up your hummingbird feeder, and you walk out one day and the north wind's blowing and it's 91 degrees outside, like I just told you, and there's five hummingbirds on your feeder, it is 100% guaranteed you can go to a rice field and find blue wing. Hmm. That's pretty neat. I like that. When I was coming out of high school, coming out of high school, a bird watcher told me that. Uh, I was all about duck hunting and you know me, 19 and bragging about it and talking about it. And he goes, do you know that hummingbirds and blue wing have the same flight pattern? <coughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, they have the same migration route. They have the same everything. They migrate to the same area. They breed in the same area. And they migrate at the same time as blue wing teal. And I said, you well, hummingbirds. I'm going to start looking no. at hummingbirds. <laughs> well, that's, that's around here. That's all we do. It's my group, my people, the people I'm friends with. We all know this, like our wives or we'll go put hummingbird feeders out and we wait for them. And when you see hummingbirds at your hummingbird feeder, it's almost a given. So my mom, because of this, my mom's always put hummingbird feeders out. So I made it a big deal that we need to put more hummingbird feeders out. Well, uh, two years ago, my mom sends me a video. She has like a hundred of them. And she texts me. She's like, you must have a bunch of blue wing. And I'm like, I absolutely do. Like, it's full. And she's like, yeah. oh, my God, I, ha- I have so many hummingbirds. Like, it's, 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 it's pretty close. Like, because hummingbirds show up at the end of August and they leave at the end of October. Yeah. Yep. And the majority of the hummingbirds you get are in early September. <laughs> so, yeah. If you want to you know if you're getting blue wings or when the migration starts. Put them hummingbird feeders out. Mm-hmm. I'm sugar. about to go get one. That's sugar water. <laughs> feeders but, sugar water. Right, right now, if you go hang hummingbird feeders out, blue wing on their well, they're pretty much at the end of it, right? They're probably yeah. almost to the finish. If you go hang hummingbird feeders out right now, you'll get hummingbirds right now. Yeah. Because they're on their way back. It's the same, it's the same, same migration pattern. That yeah. bird watch. I, I don't even know his name. I said, you must duck on. He goes, no, son, I, I take pictures. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I laughed. I laughed. I was like, there's no way this is true. And then from 19 to 31, I'll, I'll, on this podcast, I'll tell it to the world. That hummingbirds and blue and kill migrate at the exact same time. <laughs> they well, go uh, to the same place. <laughs> yeah. Now, going back to the blue wing, so when you have guys, guys coming in, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they start going to the sub gauges or, you know, um, smaller shells, different shells, different chokes for, you know, for the teal season. Um, and, yes, they are smaller birds. But I'll tell you, sometimes them teal, they'll tote that steel pretty good. Is there any um, go-tos, shell, choke combination, gauge combination that you kind of tell your clients to they, they should probably stick to during the teal season? Uh, if I had to give the best recommendation, 12 gauge number fives, always number fives, number fives, in my opinion, probably the ultimate for teal season. Um, 
and and a, a good a good choke something that to me i don't like pattern masters and i probably told you this in the last one i think pattern master can be great at times and be terrible at times because of the stud rings and the speed just speed restriction right mm-hmm. so i try to i try to tell people if you got like a kicks or or jabs or something without or just your regular modified choke is probably the best but number five 12 gauge can't make Kent makes great shows. Kent makes the yeah. Teal Steel. Teal Steel. Number five. That's right. Uh, I personally shoot a Kent Teal Steel number six from a 20 gauge. I shoot that year round. I shoot that all during Teal season. Pretty much all my guides shoot the same thing. We all shoot 20 gauges. We all shoot 20 gauge, one ounce load, number sixes. From Teal Steel. Different Teal Steel. Oh yeah, we love it. Like it shoots really well. Number six is get the job done. If you oh, have yeah. a good pattern and you get it right, good job done. You don't have all them down feathers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. Early in the year, it's amazing what down feathers. Not having down feathers on a bird, how easy it is to kill a bird. Yeah. Yeah, we have, when they don't have that winter, yeah, that winter uh-huh. layer. Yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've been I've been to Canada and shot mallards. Legitimately, we were shooting three inch twos and three inch BB because we were shooting Canada's in the morning with mallards. And we went on an afternoon mallard hunt and we had a case of Kent Teal Steel number fives. Don't know why it was in the lodge. Somebody must have misordered it. We, four of us, grabbed two boxes apiece. We ended up shooting what it come out to, so 32 mallards. We shot 32 mallards that afternoon with Kent Teal Steel number fives. Killing them dead. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, mean, this year I I went up to Nebraska during December time frame, and I was shooting two and three fourths boss uh, number fives. I was killing big honker. Yeah, big honkers, and yeah, I I use it all. I was using number fives and um for honkers and um the uh, greenheads. Yeah, we were shooting these mounds at number five steel. Yeah. Because it was September second, they had no they had no down feathers, right, dude? We were I'm talking like 45 yards, kill them dead. <laughs> we were dying laughing because when we we this is my that was my second year guiding up there, my second trip guiding up there. The first trip, we were shooting them with three inch number twos and three inch BB, and I'm telling you right now, at 25 yards, we were ripping them apart. We're yeah, like, bro, I, feel, I feel like these birds are just like wings flying off, bodies getting cut in half. I'm like, <laughs> what's going on? Like, yeah. I'm sitting there like as a guy. I'm like, what is going on here? So like, I went up to the first bird and I realized he has no down feathers. It's almost like a blue wing. All he has is those little front brown feathers. That's it. Yeah, and probably yeah, not much, not much fat on them either. No, no fat, no down yeah. feathers, nothing. It was ripping them apart. So then we were like, I bet you these fives would kill them pretty good. And like that afternoon, we shot 32 milers in about an hour. And not a one of us was shooting anything different. We were all shooting three inch, one and a quarter ounce on the five. And we were shooting milers at 40, 45 yards and 20 yards and 25 yards, killing them like stone cold dead, yeah. crushing them. And I was like, I wish I could do this every day. Yeah, in the dry field? Yeah, oh yeah. Well, we were, hunting oh, little, uh, yeah. we were hunting a little slough in the middle of a canola field. So they were using it... Uh, it, I say a slough. There was like a little water hole in the middle of a canola field right next to yeah. a big uh, a big barley field. And the mallards were coming off roost like three miles away. 
and they'd get in the barley instead of flying back to the roost to get water at like three or four o'clock, they were kind of using it as a loaf. Yeah. They were coming to it to catch like, so we wasn't, we were only getting like 10% of what was in the field, but I mean, there was 5,000 miles in the field. So yeah, the, the two, 300 that tried to come get water, we crushed 32 out of it pretty fast. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, it was cool as hell. That was probably one of my favorite hunts because I think we had nine people there that week and there was only four of us that went that afternoon. And like I said, you can kill eight mallards. And that morning we didn't shoot our mallards because we were shooting Canada's. Yeah. And everybody wanted everybody wanted to watch the Arkansas Razorback football game. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to shoot ducks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally, I mean that's that. tough. That's tough, man. You're a big football fan, You're like. Uh. Ha. Uh, that's I'll, I'll, I will. Yeah, I don't care if it was LSU, Razorback. <laughs> I don't care if it was a national championship. Like I'm going to shoot duck. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. I did it for a Georgia game this year. I pulled up my phone and went out and took some guys on a spec hunt in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I've done that. I've, I've watched. I've watched the end. <laughs> my phone but yeah i just had it pulled up my phone in the pit on silent <laughs> yeah i'm i'm good but football's and football's great but eh, not that great yeah i feel that i can't wait for arkansas yeah oh yeah man um you know well we, i mean i hate to, oh. I, I gotta be that guy Wait, wait. Oh, I got one more thing. Hey, one more. Before we go, go ahead, go ahead, Sharp. What do you think about the new proposals for the Arkansas stuff with the specs and all that stuff, and the uh, and the out of state guide fees? You see that on that survey? Yeah, I went. Uh, I went. Put my opinion on it. Uh, so I don't believe the three spec, the three spec trip day is going to help. I think that there's enough pressure already on them. Uh, I, I, the 88 day, in my opinion, it, it fits the duck season now. But from what I saw, Arkansas wants to change their duck season up. Uh, they want to push it back later, so I think that's where the spec that that spec season is going to help. I, I saw from what I saw, they're trying to line up that spec season to benefit their duck season. So in other yeah. words, you still get your early season spec, but then you don't open up till uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, that's why they're doing it. Uh, I don't believe three specs a person is, is, is a good thing. I've seen it here. Uh, last year, guiding, I got it in Stuttgart probably about a month straight. I mean, I said a month. I went there five trips, six trips, four trips for speckle bellies. And, I mean, I've been shooting them forever. And it, it just, uh, I, I don't see three specs making, making it better. I see it making it worse, actually. You're just shooting into more flocks trying to carry a limit. Yeah, I, I so definitely thought I definitely thought the two bird limit would cut down the guys in Arkansas, and it absolutely did not. So, so while while we actually got that topic, that that's actually good. Um, Sharp, go ahead and talk a little about a little bit about it, so the viewers can kind of understand what's going on, and they can kind of like put their opinion in there because um, it, 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 I read so, a little bit about it, and we all kind of agree. But go ahead. There's a survey out right now that uh, Arkansas Game and Fish put out, and um, they're kind of doing some changes to everything, and it's open to everyone. Um, I believe it goes through April 17th. Um, there's some 
there's a whole bunch of changes for all different types of hunting, but I guess for waterfowl, um, here, I got it right here. Uh, the one is consider opening regular duck season the weekend after Thanksgiving instead of the weekend before. And then they want another the one's the reestablishing a 74 day white fronted goose season with a three bird bag limit, kind of similar to the 2015 16 season. And then um, there's some public land stuff like extend boat access restrictions on waterfowl focused wild, water, wildlife management areas, include the seven days preceding the first day of the first segment of regular duck season. And I think this is going to get a lot of uh, voice of opinions. Uh, require all boats on waterfowl-focused WMAs to operate only with motors that have unmodified factory exhaust systems in place. And then the another one for, for guides, I guess, um, increase the fee of the annual non-resident hunting guide license and non-resident fishing guide license from from 150 to a price not to exceed $2,500. So the website and go voice your opinion, let your voice be heard. I honestly, I kind of like the, uh, the $2,500. I think that's a little extreme, but I think it should be like 1500 to grand. Um, I, 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 I see what you mean. It, it gets out guys who just go grab it. I, I agree with you on that. Definitely, I I feel like if you're gonna guide and be a guide, like owning a guide service, I own my guide service here. The amount of money we make as a guide service because we efficiently operate. If if you told me that I had to pay a thousand dollars as a resident for a guide license, I would like that's fine. I'd pay it. Uh, so out of state, like me and Zach Fox, the guy I guide for up there, which we didn't work together a lot. He already said it. He's like, dude, twenty five hundred bucks. Ah, don't worry about it. Like he said, he says, great, 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 great for us. Cause we're, we're, we're legit. Like we want to be guys. Like it's our job. Uh, See, and the sad part is, is the sad part is, is it's more of the local residents that are popping up everywhere. <laughs> Unfortunately. It's not out of state people. Yeah. It's locals. It's, yeah. yeah it, it, it's come to a point. And you sitting down here and I've seen it. I've talked to you know you guys about it. It gets to a point where everyone becomes a guide down here in Louisiana. Like you see everyone on Facebook, everyone's a guide, and you know it, it is everyone's passion. But so, like you said, you're legit. Some guys aren't so legit. You, you want to know what you want to know what really happens? These guys want to be a guide, and they instead of just accepting the fact that they're not a guide and nobody hires them, they start their own guide service. Yeah, and that's what happens. That's what the guide industry has become. Instead of accepting the fact that you're not a guide and you can't cut it, you start your own guide service. Well, now you're a guide. That easy. Shouldn't be that easy, right? Yeah. Don't you, have, don't you have to be licensed and insured and pay permits and shit to build houses? Yeah, Why can you I, I agree with guide? you. Why can you be a guide for nothing? Louisiana has nothing. You can come guide in Louisiana for nothing. Yeah. Well, I think they're There's changing no, it for fishing now. You, you have to have a captain's license or something. Nah, they're trying, but Texas yeah. won't enforce it on Toledo Bend, so I don't think it's going to pass either. But my point yeah. is that you do not need a guy license to guide in Louisiana. Duck hunts. You just go guide. Who cares? 
Yeah, that's you crazy. Have to show, you, you don't even have to show proof of insurance. Nothing. Ooh. I did not know that. No. Yeah, nobody's checking that. And I can tell you because I have it. No one's ever called me and said, hey, you have the insurance? Ah, no one's ever did that. The only people I show my insurance to is the farmers I lease to. I lease from. Yeah. No one's ever called me and asked me if I had insurance or I'm a licensed guide or I've done it correctly. No one ever. And I run one that's pretty known. We book all the time. We, me and John Sochier book 24-7 in Gatol. Like We're pretty known in Gatol and no one's ever called me about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah, you've seen, I mean, I've seen it down here where everyone, you know, especially around, not, you, you go up to the Catahoula area where anyone with a boat can become a guide on public land. And it's there crazy because something like that, like even if you're a builder, a fence builder at that, you still have to have some type of like, you know, permit to build or any type, some type of something to go. And that, that's what, um, something. yeah. And I, I mean, I understand how, you so know, I, that can I don't, be a little, I, it don't bother me because in Arkansas, I, me and Zach directly deal with each other a lot. And uh, Zach just, well, of course, we just picked up, Zach just picked up another 8,000 acres. So we have like, I think for snow goose season, we were hunting on like 15,000. Now we have like, yeah, now we have like, I think we had like four or 5,000 for spec. Now we have like 11 or 12,000 for spec season. Yeah. Yeah, we have four. We have forty. We have forty-five guns booked opening weekend of spec season already. Oh wow! Yeah, we have like I think we already have like right around two hundred guns booked opening week like that two weeks of spec. We have two hundred guns. No more than that. We got like three hundred guns already booked. Yeah, we we it. So when it comes to guiding, it doesn't bother me if I gotta pay. I don't care. I'm gonna make yeah. it back. It's the people that get online, get on Facebook. I have a spec hunt available and charge way cheaper than the average rate. And they get people. So, and this is not against anyone, but this is, this is my opinion about why I want people to pay the guide fee. And I think locals, even residents, because I just said it, I, I would not mind paying as a resident in Louisiana for my guide license. The reason why is because... Most people who are not, not, I'm not going to say not reputable. Most people who are just starting out turn to social media to book hunts, correct? Yep, correct. And they, they, put, they push really heavily on social media. But what they end up getting is someone who's never been on a guided hunt who turns to social media because he's on it every day to find a guided hunt. So what happens? A guy who's never been on a guided hunt books a hunt with someone who's desperately trying to book the hunt and probably don't have his stuff together. He goes on a hunt. It's terrible. He gets charged full price because the guy needs the money because he don't understand what it is to say, I'm not going to make it today, but I'm going to make it tomorrow because tomorrow is not promised to him. I'm not saying it's promised mm -hmm. to us, but it's not promised to him, correct? He's looking yep. at today. So the yeah. guy who never booked a hunt before books a hunt with this guy because he's cheaper, he's more... He sees him first because he's always on Facebook pushing hard. He goes on his hunt and the hunt sucks. He gets charged full price. That guy is never going to spend another dollar with another guide service for a long time. So he basically just took that customer off the market. See my point? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. This, this is where I get upset with guide services. I tell them, like, you need to understand to be – people are like, well, I'm running my guide service. It doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect me. It affects everyone. So my, my operation, ah. if I run an operation and I screw someone over, that person might never come back. And I didn't just hurt myself. I hurt every other guide service that's guiding. So it's a responsibility for everyone to be normal, to be right, to do the yeah. right thing. That's why I don't feel bad. I, I think people should pay the price. I think guide licenses should be a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars for everyone. You'll, you'll everyone weed out, the, yeah. I guess, not qualified to an extent. Like if you're really, if you're really passionate about it, really gonna do, you know, do it. You're you're going to be a professional and pay that. Whereas, you know, yeah. Joe Schmo, oh, it's only 150 bucks. I can do that and take guys, you know, back here on the pond <laughs> back. Joe Schmo. <laughs> you just got that and, name, man. And locals and locals in Arkansas pay like 20 bucks for it. Really? 20 bucks. 20 bucks. Yeah, me and Zach talked about it. Zach's like, yeah, I pay like 20 bucks. I'm like, this is stupid. He's like, yeah, it should be way higher. Exact degree. It should be higher for everyone. <clears throat> everyone. Locals, resident, non-resident, thousand dollars, fifteen hundred bucks. Everyone. Yeah. You want to make money in this state? Everyone. Yeah. You know what? You get rid of that, those people that hurt our own industry. Yeah. See, those people, those people don't think they hurt that industry because they're like, well, he didn't book with you, he booked with me. Yeah, but he's not gonna book with anyone ever again. Again. You just took him off the market. Yeah. You just r ruined it. And I I like how you use social media. And I'm not against social media because, you know, I, I would love hate relationship with it. Yes, I help it. It helps me push a podcast. It helps me push brands that we're sponsored by. It's brands that, you know, we, we uh, pro staff for. But it gives sometimes a false narrative of things. You always oh. see, you see everyone with the, it seems like everyone's posting. When they post, they post the greatest hunts. They post their best hunts. It's even on YouTube. And it gives the false narrative. Like, you don't understand that. <laughs> that one good hunt, that guy had to put in four or five hunts. And you know, then they, you know, they, you know, they post a hunt three different, four times that week. So it makes it look like every day they're going out there and, they're, you know, they're killing birds. Um, I mean, you can go on, you can go on Amazon or eBay right now and you can, for 200 bucks, you can go buy 40 goose bands and people pay that and they'll put them right on the lanyard. And yeah, it, it is a, um, the, the, the interweb and social media has changed the, the way the sport is. Yeah. That, we're very careful on what we post on social media. Like if you ever go back and you can look through all my social media page, my pages and my my Southern Parish Outdoors and myself, you'll notice that there's not a lot of activity because we've learned that there's there's two ways to get hunts. You can go on social media and get hunts. Most of the time when you get people from social media, those people expect a lot. And I get it. They're paying you their hard-earned cash to expect a lot. So, But you got to be careful. If you get someone from social media, you better be on birds. You better be on fish. Those people expect a lot. Then you got the customers that are word of mouth. They already trust you because everybody told you that you're the best. Right? There you go. So there's two yeah. ways to get it. Social media is it's very tricky. 
And once again, these people book people from social media, promise them the world. They're expecting everything because they're paying their first time they go on a guided hunt. They feel like that thousand dollars for four people, that's that's two weeks of work for these people. They're expecting yeah. the world. And then you go and screw them and don't even give them a discount. Don't even try to help them. Those people are never coming back. Yeah. And, and when yeah, could, it puts a cast yeah. of bad shadow on all, all other guys' services. Well, you ever see it? You ever go on social media and someone posts about guiding and there's always a two or three guys in the East? Yeah. Oh, you should just get your own blind. It's way cheaper. You always got negative. No, 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 no. Get your own blind. Get your own decoys. Yes, yeah. yeah. No, it's not cheaper. I'll tell you that right now. Why, yeah. why you need a guy? You can just do it yourself. <laughs> Burning fuel scouting. <laughs> yeah, those people have probably been burned before. Yeah. That's fine. It's part of life. Yeah. So. No, yeah, I, I, believe I, mean, the, I believe the people should pay. Hell yeah. yeah. Most of the state, who cares? Yeah, and well, and uh, man, we can keep on going on that. Um, yeah. Before before we actually go, Joe, do you have anything sharp? Do you have anything before we go? No, um, hey, yeah. um, well, last little hey, bit right there. That was yeah, a good hey, one. thanks for being on the show as always. I hope to see you in Stuttgart this year and see you um win it two years in a row. I love you. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> yeah, hey, as, as always, hey, thanks for being on the show, brother. Yeah. Welcome, man. I'm going to try to win hey, a cycling contest in Dallas this weekend. Hey, Hayden, I'll be there, man. Um, and I, we'll, cool. we'll talk about it a little bit after the show. But uh, um, I guess, before, like always, before we end, I want to thank Violent Honor Outdoors for what they do for our service members, first responders, and veterans. Um, I also want to thank uh, The Real Decoy for uh, entrusting us. Check them out on therealdecoy.com. And uh, like always, y'all have a good one. Let Bowen not fail.